Would you take your Bibles and turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 15 and uh, in verse 10. We'll get there in just a few moments. Um, so we're winding down our look at the, at the life of Jeremiah, the prophet, and we have just one more Sunday next week where we will wrap up this study. And we've not made it a verse-by-verse exegetical study, but more episodic, where we've just taken snapshots of the, the life of this amazing prophet of the Lord. We've, we've looked at his life and the dealings uh, to him and through him to Judah and the nations. And, and more specifically, we've looked at how it relates to us, uh, how it impacts what we are to do and how we are to live. And I, I honestly believe, and you've heard me say this before, that every time we read the Bible, God is speaking. He's speaking to us as much as he spoke to those that initially received those words. And so you have to come prepared to say, Lord, what are you saying? And more importantly, how do you want me to act because of it? What do you want me to do because of it? If it's just a lecture, let's just go home now. It's got to be so much more than that. And so we've been looking at the life of Jeremiah. And on multiple occasions, Jeremiah has found himself disillusioned, despondent, in despair, lamenting over the intransigence of God's people, how they have refused God's call to repent, and how the wicked have prospered and the treacherous have thrived, and even how his own family devised a scheme to assassinate him, and it causes him to ask God for retribution. Get at them, Lord. But we, we learned a few weeks ago as we looked at that portion of that study or that story that God doesn't really answer his request. He, he, he just says, Jeremiah, if you're weary from running against men, what are you going to do when you have to compete against horses? And God says that to us. I feel God saying it to us. So much to be troubled by. But God is calling us to higher ground. He's calling us to a new commitment, to a new resolve, to a determination that regardless of what we face, what challenges that are before us, there is more. And it requires more of us. Jeremiah had that conversation in Jeremiah 12. It's not the last time he had these kinds of conversations with the Lord. We're going to look at another one today. This morning, it's a very similar despondent moment in Jeremiah 15. And it resulted in a heart-to-heart conversation between Jeremiah and God, which, by the way, is exactly what we're supposed to do in desperate times. When we face impossible situations, he's the one we're to talk to about it. But also, where this conversation with God led to a change of heart in Jeremiah, which also is what we should expect in desperate times. Not only that we can take our concern to him, but he's going to have something to say to us about it, and it's going to require that we change. Jeremiah 15 and verse 10. 
Woe is me, my mother, that you bore me, a man of strife and contention to the whole land. I have not lent, nor have I borrowed, yet all of them curse me. You know, Jeremiah's in a really bad place when he wishes he'd never been born. But it's not the only time that he has that wish. And a few chapters later in Jeremiah 20, he curses the day he was born. The problem is, God called and appointed him as a prophet before he was even born. So he's in a dilemma. He's cursing the day he was born, but before he was born, God knew him and called him and appointed him a prophet. So there's a conflict with this thing that's going on in Jeremiah. He's sort of feeling sorry for himself, but in the process, he's questioning God's very call. And as compassionate as God is towards us when we face hardship, his call on our life is never abandoned because things get hard. For you or for him. Look at how Jeremiah's complaint continues in verse 15. O Lord, you know, remember me and visit me and take vengeance for me on my persecutors. In your forbearance, take me not away. Know that for your sake I bear reproach. Your words were found and I ate them. And your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart. For I am called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. I did not sit in the company of revelers, nor did I rejoice. I sat alone because your hand was heavy upon me. I added the word heavy, but that's what he meant. For you had filled me with indignation. Now, I don't know if any of us can fully understand the relentless opposition that Jeremiah faced and the disillusionment that it caused in his life. Um, of course, God had warned him. He, he said to him, I'm gonna make you like a bronze wall, like an iron pillar, because it's gonna take that fortitude, that strength, that determination to resist all of their attacks. And that should have been a sign to Jeremiah that if God said you're gonna have to be like a bronze wall and an iron pillar, chances are you're gonna have things come against you. Boy, that's the case. But when it actually happens to Jeremiah, over and over again, imagine just how discouraging it had to have been. Imagine how unbearable that it got. How day after day, sermon after sermon, year after year, decade after decade, He's refused any solace whatsoever from the people that he has called to speak to. He's been ignored, discredited. He's been isolated, ostracized. He's been disbelieved and falsely accused. He's been imprisoned and beaten, thrown into a pit, left to die. And this goes on year after year after year, not just from enemies, but his own family, his own hometown buddies, they're after him. 
No wonder he asked the Lord to take vengeance on all those who persecute him. I'd say the same thing. Get after them, God. Retaliate. Get even. Your servant is suffering. Don't you let them get away with this. The thing is, this seems to be more than just an angry outburst on Jeremiah's part. It seems more like a deep-seated resentment. It seems like disillusionment, like bitterness about how things are turning out. The New Testament writer encourages us to avoid a root of bitterness. And that's so evident in many people's lives where they have let unforgiveness and unresolved wounds cause them to grow bitter, so bitter that it grows a deep root, a deep root that grows wide and bears really nasty fruit. And sometimes I've seen people, and you probably have too, that have lived this way their whole lives. How tragic. How horrible to let bitterness overwhelm you, consume you, drive you to despair. It seems to me that where Jeremiah is in these moments, in these verses, is more than just a bad day, a bad morning, wishing things could have been better this week. This feels deeper than that, and here's why I think that. Verse 18, why is my pain unceasing, my wound incurable, refusing to be healed? Will you, God, be to me like a deceitful brook, like waters that fail? Jeremiah's pain was so deep because he felt God had misled him. He felt God had held back or fallen down on the job. In Jeremiah 2, verse 13, Jeremiah had described God as the fountain of living waters. And now he says God is nothing more than a deceitful brook whose waters fail me. I think he felt like promises had been made, but promises had not been kept. You ever feel like that? Promises made, but promises are not kept. Of course, God's promises had been kept. God had promised to be with Jeremiah, and he had been. But God also promised that the people that he was ministering to would fight against him, and they really did. And as we mentioned earlier, later he promised that the opposition he was facing would only get worse, where he might have been running against men. Now God was calling him to run against horses. Still, Jeremiah felt dejected, despondent, without hope. And it caused him to just wallow in self-pity. I want to be careful not to get too hard on Jeremiah because his life was a whole lot harder than all of our lives have been. 
I don't know many lives that has been as hard, especially in following the Lord, than Jeremiah's. He was called the weeping prophet for a reason. He wept a lot over a lot of things. And not just always feeling sorry for himself, a lot of times feeling grief over where his people were, the condition of their hearts, and the fact that they just couldn't hear, and they had stiffened their necks, and they had hardened their hearts, and it caused him to weep. He wrote a whole book about it called Lamentations. Jeremiah's life was much harder than ours, and yet every one of us sitting here can be reduced to self-pity. I mean, (laughs) just yesterday, Josh and Emily stopped by and I wasn't real happy. And they said, what's wrong? And I said, oh, I have to write a sermon on (laughs) self-pity. How ironic. (laughs) As I said it, we all started laughing. We feel sorry for ourselves over everything. The littlest of things. Jeremiah's feeling sorry for himself. I think he had reason. A lot of times we feel sorry for ourselves without reason or for stupid reasons. I think the main reason God allowed this portion of scripture to be written and preserved in the holy scriptures for us is to give us an example of how to handle disillusionment. It's for us that Jeremiah was inspired by God and had this conversation and chose by God's Holy Spirit intervention to have Baruch transcribe it and write it down so that we could read it and see a better way for when we're disillusioned. Eugene Peterson said, all of us experience these things. No one alive is a stranger to them, but... Do we pray them? Jeremiah prayed them. Everything he experienced and thought, he set in relationship to a living, knowing, saving God. And the moment these things are set in relationship to God, something begins to happen. Instead of taking our disillusionment to God in prayer, we often dump it on others complaining to those that are around us instead of wrestling with God who can do something about it. I often am amazed at how many people say, I'm praying about it, I'll pray for you, I prayed about it. And I really wonder if they had cataloged all the moments and minutes and even seconds they prayed, how much it would amount to. I'm guilty of it. You know what I've started start doing is when I say to someone, I'll pray for you, I just stop and pray for them right then. Because I may be weak and feeble and not get around to it again, and my best intentions don't come through. At least I did what I said I would do. We need to pray, not just talk about prayer. We don't need to read books about prayer. We don't need any more sermons on prayer. We need to learn to pray. Jeremiah is showing us a better way. He prayed through these things. He wrestled with God. And that's why it's a better way. Because any complaint that we may have, any grievance, any despondency, any disillusionment, any incurable wound that seems to never heal, the place we take it 
is to the God who can heal it. Because even though our pain is very real, our outlook is never perfect. Our feelings often betray us, leading us into the misguided notion that our perspective is without fault, and then we can just justify our bad feelings and our bad attitude. I'm reminded of the story about the battleship that was lost in fog at sea. And the captain could see lights of another ship ahead, and so he radioed ahead and he said, turn 15 degrees to the north. And quickly, the response came back from the other ship saying, you must turn 15 degrees to the south. And the captain was incensed. He's never been spoken to that way. He barked back, I order you, turn 15 degrees to the north. To which the response came, you need to turn 15 degrees to the south. And he finally said, this is a battleship. You must turn back 15 degrees to the north. To which the response was, this is a lighthouse. You probably should turn 15 degrees to the south. God is the lighthouse. He doesn't move. We're the ones who have to turn. He is true north, and there is no shadow of turning with him. If we're going to make it, it's going to require that we adjust, not expect that he will. Look how God answers Jeremiah, and I'm going to read it out of the Amplified Version. Verse 19. Therefore, thus says the Lord to Jeremiah, if you repent and give up this mistaken attitude of despair and self-pity. Then I will restore you to a state of inner peace so that you may stand before me as my obedient representative. And if you separate the precious from the worthless, examining yourself and cleansing your heart from unwarranted doubt concerning my faithfulness, You will become my spokesman. Let the people turn to you and learn to value my values, but you, you must not turn to them with regard to their idolatry and wickedness. Jeremiah came to God listing all the things he'd done right, but God stops him in his tracks. Hold on a minute, Jeremiah. You need to back yourself up. As they say, you need to check yourself before you... Wreck yourself. I know that's old, but I'm old. You need to question where you are, not where I am. You need to decide what needs to change in you. In fact, I'm going to point it out to you. He says, you need to give up your mistaken attitude of despair and self-pity. As Philip Ryken said, there may have been some truth in Jeremiah's soliloquy. But it was not the whole truth. Some of the things he said were worthless rather than precious. Jeremiah was still a sinner, and sinners cannot approach God with a long list of credits. It's ironic that God tells Jeremiah to repent. That's been Jeremiah's message to Judah all this time. But it also is the message God's messenger needed to hear. 
When it comes right down to it, the only thing we can do with self-pity is repent of it. Our pain is perpetual and our wound is incurable because we refuse to take it to the great physician. God doesn't blame Jeremiah for his disillusionment or for his sorrow, but he doesn't let him stay there either. He calls him to give up this mistaken attitude of despair, to stop wallowing in self-pity, And then he says, stop speaking worthless things, Jeremiah. I only want you to speak the precious things that I give you to say. Can I say to you, all week long I have been calculating how many worthless things I say. It's too many to count. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked, offensive, grievous way within me and lead me in the way everlasting. That's where we need to turn. Jeremiah needs to stop speaking the worthlessness of his despair and pity. He needs to start speaking the preciousness of God's faithfulness and his word. The final thing God did for Jeremiah is repeat his promises. Verse 20. And I will make you to this people a fortified wall of bronze. They will fight against you, but they shall not prevail over you. For I am with you to save you and deliver you, declares the Lord. I will deliver you out of the hand of the wicked and redeem you from the grasp of the ruthless. If these words sound familiar, it's because they are. They're the same promises God made to Jeremiah when he called him as a youth back in Jeremiah 1. And I think it's really interesting that God doesn't make a new promise to Jeremiah. He just reminds him of the one he already made. As if to say, I meant it then and I still mean it now. What has God promised you that you need to hear him repeat. Where have you let despondency and disillusionment take over? What kind of pit of self-pity have you dug for yourself? Is your pain unceasing? Is your wound incurable, refusing to be healed? Do you see God as a deceitful brook Or do you see him as the fountain of living waters? Isn't it time that we repent of our mistaken attitudes of despair and self-pity, however trivial or extreme they may be? Isn't it time we return to him and let him restore our inner state of peace? He's waiting for us to come home. He was waiting for Jeremiah to come home so that he could fortify him as a bronze wall, what he called him to be in the first place, that he might be useful in God's hand for the purposes of God to be revealed. I've taken to a a tradition over the last couple of months. 
that every time I get up in the morning, I recite these scriptures that help me remember these principles of coming home. I will arise and go to my father, which is what the prodigal son said. The psalmist said, thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Solomon wrote in Proverbs, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your steps. And the scripture that I wrote or said earlier, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I want to not speak what is worthless, vile. I want to speak the precious word of God to myself, to my wife, to my family, to my grandchildren, to our church, to this generation, until I see him face to face. The worthless things are not worthy of my breath, but his precious things, let them always be on my tongue. Let him heal your incurable wound today.